Spud Goodman Radio Show. And here is the studio orchestra of the Spud Goodman Show, sartorially regaled in sequined jumpsuit and cantilevered pompadour, the world's only accordion-playing Elvis impersonator, Accordion Joe. Here comes the Spud Man, he goes down easy. He calls to you who, the social outcast. Yes, you who are rejected. He wants you, he needs you, he loves you. Here comes the Spud Man, he goes down easy. Here comes the Spud Man. It's the Spud Goodman Show. Let's get ready. Rumbo! And here he is, the head cheese meister. It's Spud Goodman. Greetings, and our Ola. I am Spud Goodman. Spud <laughs> man. I'm laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> and I want to personally thank you from the top and bottom of my heart for choosing, you know, to spend some time with us. Because let's be real here, it must have been a tough decision. Life is all about choices as we all have so many to make each day. Uh, I know myself, uh, I had to make one in regards to whether I show up to the studio today or call in and go, you know, with another mental health day instead. Uh, you, you know, I... I have so many TV shows on my DVR right now to catch up on. I thought about it seriously, but but I sucked it up, and here I am. I'm, I'm not going to lie, though. It was, a, it was a close call. Anyway, why don't we get things started with me introducing our designated laugher, my Aunt Dorothy. Could you give us a decent chuckle? Sure. Here you go. <laughs> All right, then. Okay. Uh, well, uh, wait. Uh, wait. Uh, how was it? Well... You know? Uh, you know, I thought that chuckle might be in my top five all-time chuckles. No, it was good, but I don't know about it being in your top five. Maybe, maybe top 15 or so, though. Really? Oh, well, I'm sorry I asked. I I'm just trying to be honest here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know you wouldn't want me to give you an inflated, inaccurate evaluation, right? Well, just once it wouldn't hurt to hear you give me a glowing review, accurate or not. Well... I am stunned to hear you would prefer me to lie rather than be honest in my duties as, as host of the show. <sighs> well, hey. Okay, then. Whatever. It was an exemplary chuckle. How about that, okay? Bordering on state-of-the-art. Oh, well, now that's more like it. And thank you. Yeah, whatever. Okay. And now I'm supposed to introduce our temporary co-host, Gerald Holcomb. This is your moment to shine. I'm giving you... I'm giving you nine seconds to connect with our listeners and then shut the hell up so I can do my job here. Uh, uh, well, temporary, permanent. Well, and, uh, nine, nine seconds, huh? Yeah. Okay, that's uh, two to three seconds more than you generally grant me, and that's very generous. So thank you, Spud. Uh, okay, then. I want to say... Uh, a very, I, very, very poor use of your allotted time, dude. So well, now I'm obligated to announce our show's intern chance. Uh, I'm, I'm not even going to try and lay down the, the time boundaries for you to say something now, as you'll just ignore my wishes and do your usual self-promotional spiel that you normally throw out. So, yeah, just go ahead, do it. Well, first of all, you really need to be more complimentary to Dorothy. She is the best designated laugher on the radio today. There are thousands of them on every drive-time team across this country. And 
probably all over the world, and none of them can hold a candle to her. She is such an amazing talent. Yes! Oh, I thank you, sweetie. But no need to be concerned about my feelings. Uh, you know, I'm used to Spud being stingy with praise. It stems from his insecurities. I, I just don't take it personally. I'm not that insecure. Um, I think it'd be actually... You're such a wonderful soul, Dorothy. This show doesn't deserve you. Anyway, I don't have anything to say other than let's get this show over with as I have much more important things to do. Like what? Wasting a few more hours playing Fortnite? Well, I can play Fortnite on my phone here anytime I want, even during the show, because I can do my intern duties blindfolded. My multitasking skills are highly developed. Let me just say I'm the most popular person on the show as reflected by listener yeah, research. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, you can start now. Uh, I just can't repeat that made-up hype about your popularity. Uh, it's all fake news. So I'm just going to move on and introduce the topic we're, we're going to discuss on this episode. You know, there's this new fad that is all the rage in the job market. You know, I've done a, I've done a lot of reading on this. People are deciding to, like, quiet quit their jobs. Basically give up and stop trying to please their boss and just enjoy life while, you know, of course, exploring, you know, about finding maybe a, a, a gig somewhere else. That's, you know, that goes with it, kind of. But but if, if nothing comes up, most people, they, they just keep showing up for work but give about a 30% effort. Good! So I wanted to, you know, shine a light on this trend. It has been so good for me over the years. I had no idea what it was called, but yeah, now I do. And, and now it's evidently everywhere. You know, this approach to my job has allowed me to continue in my role as talk show host for at least the last 10 years or so uh, of my you know, total career. I think that was when I really committed to phoning it in, so, you know, so to speak. I think that this is your way of telling me something. Spud, I don't understand how you can almost speak proudly of this attitude, this uh, attempt to shirk your professional responsibilities and cheat your employer. Hey, 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 you shut your face! Oh, Gerald, how do you think I've continued to show up to work on this show? I never wanted to serve in this capacity as a designated laugher. I stepped up when no one else could be found. Huh. I mean... Spud is my nephew, and I just didn't want to turn my back on him. And I really appreciate that, Aunt Dorothy. You're welcome. Do you? Really, Spud? Yeah. You seem to take your aunt for granted and, to me, treat her with a lack of true appreciation. I just said I really appreciate her, okay? Chance, don't use me to score points with your fiancé. It's very unseemly. Well, I don't need to score points, as you say. Dorothy loves me unconditionally already. Well, of course I do, sweetie. You complete me. Spud, it's something I doubt you've ever experienced. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe maybe, not. I don't know. Whatever. But, but I'm not dead yet. Just remember that. It's still something that I could experience someday. But right now, I need to play some music, okay? So let's lead off with a band from Seattle that, yes, has performed live on this show in the past. They rock. Here is Monster Watch with their song Let Let Go off their 2021 EP music you will never hear about. Here's Monster Watch. Monster Watch. 
is the Spud Goodman Show. This is the Spud Goodman Show. Hi, this is Don Rickles. I'm on the Spud Goodman Show. That'll show you how my career is going. I hope you listen to it, because the last time I saw him, he was out in the woods chopping logs. But who knows? Ah, that's it, folks. Spud, your first guest, Ken Burns, is waiting to speak with you. He's been on the show before, but, uh, you know, we Holcombs don't watch that channel Ken is on so often. PBS, it's a bit too liberal for us. Uh, yeah, Ken was on the show previously. He, yeah. He's such a talented filmmaker. He's clearly at the top of his field making documentaries. The GOAT, absolutely. Uh, you know, I love talking with him as the conversation is like taking an audio trip through history. Well, history is interesting, but I try to stay on my toes so any of that fake history doesn't fool me. Uh, it's all fake news. You know, not just about that rigged election in 2020 that denied our greatest president another term. I I know it's just a matter of time before he's rightfully returned to the White House. But I have to tell you, it's so disturbing to hear people say he lost to Joe Biden. That is not my kind of history. And there, in a nutshell, is the problem facing this country now. There are not two versions of history. You, You can't make up your own, dude. Uh, Donald Trump and MAGA history is not real. Kind of like the earth is not flat, no matter how many nutcases say so on the internet. Oh, oh, I've done my own research on that topic, and it's far from being a a hard fact. Yeah. It's still, I I guess, a bit up in the air, if you ask me. People who are determined that ideology is more important than facts. Well, I haven't asked you, but uh, I'm now asking you, though, to not jump in and make any comments during my interview with Ken. It's important. Please. Really? Uh, Okay. All right. Fine. Here he is. Welcome back to the show. Highly acclaimed filmmaker and author Ken Burns. Thank you for calling in. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you again. You have two projects out now that I want to talk to you about. Your PBS documentary, The U.S. and the Holocaust, which is now available to view on the Amazon Prime Video Service and on PBS Passport. And you also have a new book out titled Our America. Let's start with the book. This is what, number 28 that you've written? Yeah, and this is a a lot different. Normally, the books that we have have been actually written by the writers Uh, for the various uh, films in which they've served as companion books. This is a standalone book that is sort of the culmination of all of the work I've done. It's a series of at least 250 black and white photographs, all single page, filling an entire page with a minimal caption, like New York City, 1863. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's from the first photograph ever taken, a self-portrait in the United States in 1839, all the way up to more or less the present, detailing our joys. Sometimes they're famous people, sometimes they're just ordinary folks and and, uh, having fun, or it's uh, wars or tragedies or wonderful things of the natural beauty of the United States. And the minimal captions allow you to drink in the power of the photograph, which is, of course, the DNA of all my film work. Mm-hmm. Every one of our films is represented somehow there, and every one of the 50 states is represented. And then at the back of the book, there's a thumbnail photograph of each of the, the plates in the book, 
and a description of the photographer and uh, the subject matter, sometimes both, where the photograph came from, all of the important stuff. So you'll find yourself just looking at it visually and then going back and leaping back and forth between the pictures and, and the back matter. Um, it's, I, I'm as excited about this as any film that I, I've worked on, and I've worked on this for 15 years at nights and over the weekends. Oh my gosh! Um, you know, trying to trying to bring it into being. Okay, all right. Well, you know, regarding the PBS uh, series, the U.S. and the Holocaust, I have a specific question I wanted to hit you up with. Can, can you tell us, or the listeners, the facts? behind the U.S. government's refusal to allow the, the ship MS St. Louis to land in Miami, you know, filled with 900 Jewish passengers trying to flee danger in 1939. A lot of people aren't really familiar with why, wh how that decision came about. Yeah, well, it wasn't really a decision. There was no decision to be made. What happened was uh, a ship, the St. Louis, set sail with over 900 refugees, most of them, 95% of them Jewish. And they were heading to Havana, Cuba, where they had paid tens of thousands of dollars to get visas there. But in the meantime, uh, Cuba had undergone a big anti-Semitic reaction. They'd taken in some Jewish refugees earlier mm -hmm. and Nazi agents and others and sort of filled the air with propaganda. And so what happened is they offloaded a couple dozen people and then refused to let any of the others come. So there they were stranded. Finally, they were ordered out of Havana Harbor. And uh, we interviewed a, a kid, a guy who was a kid back then. And uh, then it sailed sort of aimlessly up and down the Atlantic coast trying to get Canada, which refused them, and the United States that couldn't take them in because uh, the decade before, in the 1920s, we passed this pernicious anti-immigration law called the Johnson-Reed Act that set horrible quotas, particularly for countries with lots of Jews. And so um, it was just a, uh, a mess. And so a U.S. law would not allow the ship to land. So it wasn't even a question of a, uh, of a decision being made. It would have violated the law of the United States, which is just horrific. And that's what our film is about. It's telling the story, not just of what we knew and, and, and when we knew it, way earlier than we think about what was going on in Germany. 3,000 articles in 1933 alone before Jews were being killed in Germany mm -hmm. about discrimination against Jews in the new Hitler regime all the way through the, the discovery of the horrors and crimes of the, what we now call the Holocaust. Um, and what we did and what we didn't do. And while we let in 225,000 refugees, mostly Jewish, uh, fleeing Nazi terror, we could have, even with those pernicious uh, immigration laws let in at least five times that many, I think maybe ten times as many, that would have allowed us to save not just hundreds of thousands, but perhaps millions of people struggling to get out. But we didn't make it easy. And as we detail in the beginning of the film, Anne Frank's father had gotten out of Frankfurt when he saw the beginnings of Hitler and got to Amsterdam and was a successful businessman, had high-placed uh, friends in the United States. He wasn't going to be a war of the state. He had his own stuff. He could not get into the United States. He had dotted every I, crossed mm -hmm. every T, and he could not get in. And so we know what happens. Many, for many of us, particularly our school kids, their access to the story of the Holocaust is through her diary. Right. And so this is an important part of understanding what happened. So there's lots of incidences uh, in which people could have gotten to the United States. None more notorious, I think, than the St. Louis. 
uh, had we been a little bit more flexible and compassionate, which we like to think of ourselves as. But in the middle of the Depression, with rising anti-Semitism stoked by industrialists like Henry Ford and heroes like Charles Lindbergh, it was impossible for the United States to do anything. The Congress was solidly opposed to any immigration. The Roosevelt administration wanted to, but the State Department was peppered with anti-Semites. But even among this, our film details the story, the heroic story, I believe, of dozens of American citizens and organizations and people within the government, uh, bureaucrats who helped save lives regardless of that. And so for every St. Louis, there's the story of the War Refugee Board created by a lowly guy at the Treasury Department and signed off by his um, uh, his boss, the secretary, Henry Morgenthau, the lone Jew in Roosevelt's cabinet, and by Roosevelt himself, which saved tens of thousands of people at the end of the war okay. in uh, Hungary and Romania. It's a great story. Well, given the current anti-immigration fever spreading across this country, you know, history seems to be, I, I know I know from last time, you don't, the term history repeating itself is, uh, uh, yeah, I, you had a, a take on that that I found. Yeah. Uh, well, but it's, it's, but there are more than a few examples right now. Oh, yeah. So, so you're absolutely right. But let me just clarify. No event has ever happened again twice. Nothing right. has ever happened. So there's no, technically, no repeating. Mark Twain had a phrase, he supposedly said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And so in every film I've made, there's always been rhymes with the present. And when we began this film seven years ago in 2015, there were a handful of rhymes. And we just thought, oh, okay. When we finished it, every sentence was rhyming with the present, which has set off a lot of alarm bells in me and a lot of other people as we see how susceptible people were in the 30s to authoritarianism. And one of the highlights of authoritarianism is to set up an us versus them that there's us, the good guys, and there's them, the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And that you can, you know, racism and anti-Semitism come from the idea that there are better races than others. And in fact, there's only one race, and that's the human race. And if anybody tells you, I mean, I've been making films for 50 years about the U.S., but I've also been making films about us. That is to say, the lowercase two-letter plural pronoun. And what I've discovered in my 50 years of work is that there's only us. There's no them. And if anybody tells you there are them, run away. And that's what's happened. It's increased today in which the interest in which people who rarely come in contact with immigrants are the most fervently anti-immigrant. And those people who are in constant contact with new immigrants are the ones that are most positive about a more expansive immigration policy. So it, it goes to show you that people are susceptible, as Jefferson said in the Declaration, to tyranny and to the authoritarian impulse. Democracy takes work Democracy takes engagement. Democracy takes figuring out what's the truth and what's kind of disinformation, misinformation, yeah. uh, fake, fake stuff. Well, on that note, that the Nazis had their own highly effective propaganda uh, spreading oh. hate in that era. But with social media now, it doesn't take much more, you know, much skill to s disseminate equally hateful misinformation to th millions in a few simple keystrokes. Man, it's just so that that's, that's the great peril right now is that there are. So many forces at loose in the world that are the enemies of the complication that comes from democracy and the simplicity that these totalitarian or authoritarian regimes seem to suggest, you know, and it just isn't true. Uh, democracy is the worst of all government forms. 
except all the others. Right. right. It's complicated. It's problematic, but it's better and it keeps uh, people's freedom. But you're right. Now with social media, a lie can go around the world three times before the truth gets started. And when it gets started, you find the incredibly cynical view that it's labeled fake news, even though it's true. And so I've spent my life not getting into arguments. I tell stories. And okay. the novelist Richard Powers said that the best arguments in the world won't change a single person's point of view. The only thing that can do that is a good story. And I try to tell stories. I'm not interested in how we change your point of view. We just think that if you accept a good story, maybe something happens, maybe doesn't. Okay. Maybe it's transformational in, in your gut, or maybe it's at the edges, but something can happen if you tell a good story. All right. Well, thank you for that. I know you got to go. So let me say again that your PBS series, The Holocaust in the U.S., is now available for viewing at the Amazon Prime video service and on PBS Passport. And your new book out titled Our America is available everywhere books are sold. Thank you so much for spending some more time with us. Uh, it's great. It's glad to be with you. Take care. Mr. Ken Burns. The excitement continues on the Spud Goodman Radio Show following this brief intermission. We now return to more action-packed thrills and excitement on the Spud Goodman Radio Show. You know, I think we need to implement a test at this station to determine who is and who is not 100% committed to their job. Uh, now that you've brought up this problem to our attention, I would think it would help the show for sure if we could determine who has, you know, quiet quitted and we may not be aware of it. I think there has to be, you know, some protection from that constitution thingy for that type of management overreach. Um, there, there are some things that, that are just between a person and their god or, or goddess. All that jiggle-jaggle is not beautimous. Well, well, just what is a goddess? Everyone knows there is but one heavenly father, and there is no reference to any normal religion uh, of a goddess. Sure there is. You, you may have to dig on, on the internet to, f to find those religions, no, but, no. but you know some people prefer to worship their goddesses, and who are we to question them? Yes, Gerald, aren't you a big proponent of respecting one's religious beliefs? <laughs> Mrs. Jarvitz, I was always referring to normal religion, you know, like the Mormon faith. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Uh, don't you guys believe God resides on the planet Kalab is it Kalab? Okay, Kalab. Yeah, of course he does. Everyone knows that fact. Yeah, count me as a bit skeptical on that one. I have a hard enough time that dead people are supposed to be up in the sky somewhere. Well, not all the deceased reside in heaven, Chance. There are many unfortunate souls that are currently in the pit of hell with Satan. Shut up. Uh, Spud, you've had ample time to change your... Pro probable final destination, but uh, 
maybe it's not too late. You know, you never know. Oh, in Spud's case, I'm thinking that call has already been made. Yeah. I'm just speculating, but it sure is trending in that direction. Yeah. But can we get back to the topic I brought up earlier about that quiet quitting thing? It's it's going on all over this country, all over the world, I'm sure. You know, people will, would be interested in, just, you know, in, that we discuss oh, that oh. topic, not... Oh, really? Get sidetracked here is what I'm trying to say. But, Spud, you have to be paid to be considered a quiet quitter, right? Uh, um, a volunteer, designated laugher, or intern, we wouldn't qualify, correct? Uh, yeah, I, I think that is right. You, you really need to be getting a paycheck to be eligible. Then if you uh, do officially shut down your effort level to, say, 20 30%, you, you would be part of this new wave in the workplace. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great. You know, I know for myself, this has always kind of been my default position in my working career. So I don't know if, you know, if I would actually qualify when you when I think about it. I mean, you have to have been putting forth your best effort before you dial it down and, you know, quietly quit. I'm just glad somebody's finally put a name to this kind of behavior, as it's been pretty apparent on this show that you, Spud, have been allowed to get away with this for years to the detriment of others around you. Don't be so overly dramatic about it. Gerald, everyone knows he's a total slacker. Yeah. He admits it and wears the label proudly. Yeah, well... Someday soon, it will come to a head, and then it could involve personnel changes on this show. What employer would accept an employee who purposefully gives a minimal effort in their job? Eventually, it will catch up to them, even you, Spud. Listen, there's a reason I've lasted so long in my position as talk show host, okay? I mean, why have I survived so many years, you know, giving maybe, as you say, minimal effort? Minimal. Because I'm still better at my job than anyone else they could find to replace me. H have you listened to the radio lately? What are you objectifying on? You might have a point there. My mom listens to the radio, mostly this dumb morning zoo show where they do all sorts of wacky stuff. It really grates on my nerves. Mostly I wear earplugs at the kitchen table for breakfast. Well, you can rest assured, honey, you won't have to deal with that type of thing after the wedding and you move into my place. I don't have any radios in my house. That is messed up, yo! I'm counting the days until our wedding, Dorothy. You know, you haven't responded about me taking my bunk bed with me when I move in. I know you want to keep sleeping in your own queen-size bed, but... I was thinking maybe it would be okay to put it in the guest room. You know, I would only sleep on the top bunk a few times a week, just the first few months to ease into having a regular ground-level bed. I gotta admit the truth. It turned me on. Mm, I suppose that would be okay if it's important to you. If necessary, I would be willing to spend one night a week in the lower bunk bed. We can discuss this later, honey. Uh, yeah, that would be very cool. I gotta admit the truth. It turned me on. Uh, can you two please keep your sleeping arrangements to yourselves? Uh, hey, can, can someone uh, check right now if our next guest is ready to go? Spud, your next guest, Caitlin Collins, is ready to go. Now, I was told by Trevor that she works at CNN. Couldn't we get anyone from Fox News? 
Uh, Caitlin is one of the top cable news reporters out there right now. I, I think she just turned 30, if you can believe it. She's, she's now co-hosting the new CNN morning show. Well, I'll stick with Fox and Friends, thank you very much. They're almost like family to all of us that tune in each morning. I mean, no one can beat Steve Ducey. They want to shatter your mind talking about Justin Bieber! Uh, a blow-up doll has more charisma than Steve freaking Ducey? Uh, just oh, put Caitlin through, please. Very well, but I, I think if you just tuned in to Fox and Friends... Yeah, Fox and Friends starts right now. You, too, would become a big fan of Steve's, but... Okay, anyway, here is Caitlin. Please welcome former CNN White House correspondent Caitlin Collins. Thanks for checking in with us. Thanks for having me this morning. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. So you're now off the White House beat and are co-hosting the new morning show on CNN with Don Lemon and Poppy Harlow. Are you are you going to miss yelling out questions to presidents? I, I guess you could yell out something to guess on the set when they get up to go. But. <laughs> yeah, I think I won't be doing as much shouted questions as I did in my previous role. Um, but honestly, that role... Covering the White House, I think, is the best work you can do as a reporter when you are getting your start because it really prepares you for anything. And you always are on your toes, thinking quickly, ready to ask a question that comes to your mind. And I think that is a skill that will actually really deliver in the morning when you are interviewing guests and surprises can happen and news breaks. And there's so much happening in those three hours that we'll be anchoring. Oh, yeah. Um, well, how, how surreal was it to serve in your prior position at CNN at age, what, 26 when you first started? I was 25 when I 25. started at CNN. Wow. And, yes, it, it was awesome because CNN is such a massive company and they have such extensive resources that it's kind of a reporter's dream. And when I started, you know, you're working with all these professionals that have so much experience and really just want to help get you off the ground um, when it comes to developing your skills and becoming a better reporter. And I was really grateful when I started at CNN to, to just understand, you know, the weight of the business and how much force they want to put behind good reporting. Right. Well, when you were covering the Trump White House during the height of the pandemic and the administration was in its, you know, its ivermectin bleach stage, were you ever a little worried being in the tiny, crowded press briefing room there? Uh, it would have made me a bit worried about my workspace. Yeah, it was a little nerve-wracking because we were the very few people um, in, in our field who were still going into the White House every day because it wasn't somewhere where you could really work from home. Mm -hmm. And so we went from having six people in our little CNN office in the White House basement to having one, maybe two, um, and obviously masked up. And we were in a White House where they weren't taking COVID super seriously. And so you know, yeah. we were often the only person wearing a mask. And there was so much unknown at the time. And it was definitely a situation where... You were as careful as possible, but, but you hoped that you, you didn't get sick from, from going to work and from doing that. But you realized how important the work was and that there was a really big reason why you were there and that people were sitting at home watching CNN and really needed to get every piece of information that they could. Right. Okay. Um, well, in, in 2018, when you got banned by the Trump White House for asking the president uncomfortable questions, was that like the highest honor any journalist could receive outside of like a Pulitzer <laughs> or a Peabody Award? I'll tell you, that's not how I viewed it at the time, because I was 
essentially reporting and in the middle of a time at a White House that often was very combative with CNN. And as a reporter, you never want to be the story. Your job is to report, to deliver context, to surmise what the president has just said. And you never want to be the one where your name is in the story. And that's unfortunately what happened with that. And um, luckily, the benefit of that was that all my colleagues in the press corps stood up for me, from Fox News to MSNBC. Everybody stood up mm-hmm. for, for us, and they realized that was a, a dangerous precedent to set inside the White House. Well, in contrast, I think you kind of got uh, kind of yelled at by President Biden by by uh, asking him something uncomfortable. Uh, but I guess the uh, end of that story is he kind of apologized to you later, though, right? Which didn't happen. He uh, did apologize. Um, that was when we were in Geneva for his summit with President Putin, obviously before this entire invasion of Ukraine happened. And I asked him a question about why he sat down with Putin for so long, kind of what were the merits of the summit, because Putin, at the end of the day, is still going to be Putin. Uh-huh. And it, it, was a, it was a point of contention behind the scenes, which is something I knew when I asked that question. And clearly, you know, it was revealed in the president's answer. But you are right. He did, after he did yell at me and tell me I was in the wrong business, he later came up to reporters and apologized um, for his outburst. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, I was wondering this. Uh, you hail from the state of Alabama. You graduated from the University of Alabama. Obviously a, a pretty conservative part of the country. Do you, do you get much feedback from old friends and uh, uh, like alumni at this point in your career working for the mainstream media, as some describe it? So I'll say two parts to that. One, if you are from the South or you know any from one of, from the South, you know they have great pride in people who are from the South and go on to do great things and important things. Mm-hmm. And that is number one, the response I get when I go home, which is that my friends, my family, the people I went to school with in Alabama, they're often just so excited to see someone that they grew up with or that they knew doing a successful job in a big industry. And so it is really heartwarming, actually, to see the response. Two, yes, I do often get a lot of feedback, a lot of questions often, you know, why don't you work for Fox News? Why Uh don't you do this? Um, But I will say that I, I think more people in the South have started watching CNN. And I think what helps is that they know that they can turn it on and they see someone that they know, that they trust, um, that it came from a similar background to them who is who is delivering the news. And I think that is actually really helpful in, in establishing trust with them. And that's really important to me to do that. And I often think of my family and my friends when, when I'm conducting my reports. Okay, all right, super. Uh, Spud. What? Well, if I may interject here, as you are well aware, I and so many other conservatives just don't trust the mainstream media like CNN or that uh, Washington Post. I'll tell you, if my daughter Kelsey one day goes to work at one of those type of places, well, I'm sure my wife would be able to deal with it, but I would be very conflicted. Uh, Caitlin, just, just a sec. I myself sure hope your daughter someday gets a job like Caitlin's at a real news channel like CNN. You know, when Kelsey came into the studio on that take your daughter to work day that we used to do at the station, remember those? Yeah, yeah. And when she came in, uh, she told me one day she wanted to work somewhere in the media. Is that right? Yes. She's never mentioned that to me. Uh, I I could see her at at Fox or uh, Newsmax, I guess. 
Yeah, it's pretty rare kids share the political leanings of their parents. I don't see her going the MAGA route like you. Oh, I wouldn't be so sure of that. I know that once she is, God willing, accepted at BYU, I fully expect her to be a proud member of the Republican Party and, for sure, not work at some Marxist media organization. Well, she mentioned to me she wanted to study communications at, I, th- I, think, I think she said, NYU. Wait, NYU? Is that in New York City? Oh, you must have misheard her, Spud. You know what? I'm going to speak to her about this when I get home. Okay, I'm back. Well, as you're now a morning show host, have you already binged all the episodes of Apple TV's The Morning Show? Because if that thing isn't all realistic, (laughs) this is going to be a wild ride for you. Definitely not boring. It is not going to be boring at all. I think that's a safe assessment. I'm excited. I did watch The Morning Show on Apple, the first season. I haven't seen season two yet. That's pretty good. It's really great. I love when Jennifer Aniston is like getting ready in the morning and it's like three Mm o'clock. Like I I fully feel that because that is going to be my life starting tomorrow. Um, But it's an exciting adventure and I'm really grateful to CNN for giving me this opportunity because... You're right. It is It is something new. It is an adventure. It will never be boring. Um, but it's also CNN putting a lot of faith in the in the three of us and Don, Poppy, and I to take this new morning show and make it something that can really deliver for people when their time is so valuable. And so that's what I that's what my my end goal is with this with this big step. Yeah, like going to bed at 7 at night or something's going to be a trip, but all right, I'm, I don't want to bum you out. But. I think I'm going to stay up until 9 o'clock. Is that crazy, you think? Okay, well, it's pushing it, but all right. Um, <laughs> l- let me remind everyone that your new show, CNN This Morning, airs Monday through Friday. A new way for people to start their day, I guess. Uh, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and I hope everyone watches the new show because I think it'll be really great. All right. There you have it, Ms. Caitlin Collins. Then beyond the moon, of course, is the sun. That is far enough away, so that light takes approximately eight minutes to get from the sun to the earth. Now, I cannot go on and talk about other things before I have told you a few things, some of which you may know already, some of which you may know already. One thing is, the Earth is the back of a giant turtle with sleepy eyes, but the turtle swims in a big sea without a name. This sea is in a big ball carried on the back of a white elephant with golden tusks. But we might ask, from where does the sun take its energy? How does it make radio noise? These agitated masses which stream out from the giant turtle with sleepy eyes. Incidentally, we know a very great deal Spud, your last guest, Jonathan Frakes, is holding for you. Now, he's on one of those uh, Star Trek shows, right? Yeah, he's appeared on a number of shows in the Star Trek TV world and huh. directed some, too. Uh, but he's best known as the co-star of Star Trek The Next Generation. He played Commander William Riker. 
Yeah, yeah I, I try to limit our family from watching science fiction shows as, well, you know, that occult stuff comes from the mind of the devil for sure. What the hell are you saying? Star Trek, probably the most popular TV series now of all time, as it spawned way more spin-offs than even those Hollywood wives or wherever has inspired. Um, I mean, by the devil, are you serious? I mean, that that would be news yeah. to the late Gene Roddenberry these days, uh, as it's almost like a religion for some people. <laughs> that, that is exactly my point, Spud. Star Trek is no substitute for the word of God. I'm, I'm not familiar with Commander Riker, but I think our Heavenly Father knows more about things than that Captain Kirk. Maybe, but not more than Spock. Uh, now just put Jonathan through, please. Yeah, here he is. Say hello to actor and director Jonathan Frakes. Uh, we appreciate you coming on our show. The pleasure is mine. Thanks, bud. You have a lot going on right now, career-wise. Uh, let's start with your appearance as Commander William Riker on Season 3 of Star Trek Picard, airing on CBS All Access. How many episodes will you be in? I'm in 10 episodes the whole season. Oh. I directed a couple of them, and the whole crew from Next Generation eventually is gathered so season three of Picard drops on February 16th on Paramount Plus, and I think fans of our show should tune in. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you've appeared in so many Star Trek projects over the years. Does it seem like that it's part of your actual reality? I mean, do you sometimes ask yourself if you really are a commander of a spaceship? I sometimes do, and then my wife says, get over yourself. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, I was also thinking of the devoted following that the Star Trek franchise has been blessed with for many decades. Do you think that they'll still be having Star Trek conventions in the next century? I can only imagine they will. It's been, um, I mean, Shatner's 92 mm -hmm. and he's still out on the circuit. And that, that convention, I mean, that show is 55 years old. Our show is 35 years old. Wow. All these new shows that have started, these guys are just about to start on the circuit. The guys on Discovery and Picard and um, Strange New Worlds. And there are more Star Trek shows in the in the works as we speak. So, yes, I think this franchise will live forever. And I think Roddenberry is up there smiling on us. Yeah. Yeah, the syndication rights uh, that he's looking at uh, in, yeah, in perpetuity, I guess, uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Um You've, you've also directed many episodes of the franchise, along with an episode of Seth MacFarlane's The Orville. I was, I was wondering, could you win any Star Trek trivia contest over any other cast member? That's a good question. I'm getting better at the trivia, but I'll tell you the fans that really know the show, who are really deep in the weeds, and some of our writers who have uh, the knowledge of Star Trek that is so far beyond me. I mean, they ask about episodes that I don't remember being in, so I'm good, but I, I don't hold a candle to the people who are really full nerds okay. inside baseball. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some people that take it pretty darn seriously. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the things they know, the details they know. I'll tell you, Tony Newsom. I was doing an episode of Strange New Worlds, who's, and on the episode, it's a crossover between Lower Decks, which you may or may not know is an animated kind of an adult animated Star Trek. And a couple of the characters cross over, if you will, into the Strange New Worlds world as live creatures. Tawny 
and Mike McMahon, who's the writer of, of Lower Decks, are so deep in the lore and the Easter eggs of things that happened on Deep Space Nine, the things that happened on Voyager. It just is endless, and it's mind-blowing. Oh, okay, all right. Well, as a director, you're in total control, kind of like an actual commander. Do you prefer that role or to be in front of the camera? I much prefer the job of directing. I think it's a naive to pretend you're in total control. It's really the cinematographer, the first AD, and the star of the show, and you're there as a guest to help drive the train. Okay. All right. Well, moving on to another topic. You, you host the 25th anniversary of Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction. Are you continually surprised yourself uh, when you see some of the answers the show delivers? Uh, have you ever wanted to like do a double check with a quick Google search? That's funny. I, when I do the answers um, from the original, Al Schwartz was our director and producer, and Barry Edelman wrote the show's. They had a policy, which I think was very smart, of not telling me which were fact and which were fiction, so that it wouldn't sway either the way I read it or my body language. And I think it was a very clever and uh, effective way, because at the end of, as you know, at the end of Beyond Belief, the family would sit down and guess and yell at the screen, no, that one's real, that one's not. So part of the attraction of that show was the family aspect of it and the... uh, how absurd some of the facts were and how ridiculous some of the fiction was. Uh, Spud? What? Jonathan is so right. The Holcomb family regularly would sit down together to watch Beyond Belief Fact or Fiction. And we would all yell at the screen, too, you know, as to what was fact and what was fiction. I will say, there has been many times where I, apart from other family members, would strongly disagree with what the show said was a fact, as, to me, it often seemed very much like fiction, like uh, fake facts. Uh, Jonathan, I need a brief moment here. I'll be right back. Yeah, I guess I guess nothing after Trump can be accepted as a, as a fact or the truth. Everything these days uh, is up in the air, right? Well... Facts are just someone's opinion, you know? Like, like for instance, who's to say that the sun is really the center of the universe? It's not. The universe is infinite. No one knows for sure where the center of the universe is. And facts are not just someone's opinion. They are the conclusions of highly educated people who do not spend all of their time on Facebook, Reddit, and now True Social. Just zip it and let me get back to Jonathan. All right, I have returned. Um, all right, well, let me close with something a little on a little more serious note. Uh, you are the current spokesperson for the PanCan Action Network, uh, who have launched a Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month campaign titled Research for All of Us, and people can donate. Visit PanCan.org. Um, yeah, we, we've lost so many people to this insidious disease. How did you get involved with the organization? My wonderful brother, Daniel, died 25 years ago he had turned yellow we took him to the hospital they opened him up they closed him up they said i'm sorry there's nothing we can do this pancreatic cancer is too far gone he has six months to live five months later he's dead ironically the same week that my wonderful daughter was born so it was a, a rough time an interesting complicated time in our family and at that time there was a four percent survival rate for pancreatic cancer mm-hmm 
And we're trying to raise money to research so there can be early detection, which are, it's not there yet. Right. And we find better treatment options so that people can survive this. The cancers, the pancreatic cancer survival rate is now 11%, which still sucks and needs to get up, but it's better than it was. Okay. But one of the things I would encourage your listeners to do is when you go to your doctor for your annual checkup, tell the doctor if you have anyone in your family who has had pancreatic cancer, and the doctor will change the treatment for you and hopefully keep an eye on and maybe maybe be able to have some early detection, which is what we're all okay. thinking. So pancan.org is a very user-friendly website. I'll tell you that as a Luddite, and I encourage you to do and give what you can. Thank you very much. All right. Well, See you. I appreciate you sharing that. Well, let me say again that season three of Star Trek Picard will be airing in February on CBS All Access. You are now hosting the... No, it's on, it's on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, you're now hosting the 25th anniversary of Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction, and our listeners uh, definitely need to go to pancam.org to find out how they can help. Just thank you so much for checking in with us. But I really appreciate your help. Thank you. All right, Mr. Jonathan Frakes. My, how time flies. They're saying we have a caller waiting on the line if you want to take us, but... Sure, I guess. You know, we're supposed to take one call per episode. I think that's the, that's the management edict. So have Trevor put it through. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, right now? Yeah. Uh, okay. So I was listening to the show and I heard you talking about quiet quitting. Right. That's what the millennials call it, isn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah. The article I read said a ton of those millennials are into this, but I don't think it's necessarily limited to any age group. Well, no, but in my case, I would say a better term would be work when you're feeling it. That has been my model for years now, as I learned that there, there's a time to work and there's a time to relax and enjoy life. Okay. And the key is to know how to balance it during a work week. And that's important. Uh, caller, from your employer's perspective, that would be very problematic. If all employees took that approach, then productivity would be very poor. Shut up. Well, I didn't say I didn't work hard. It just is spaced out over the week. Like, like on Mondays, that's my adjustment day where I gear down from a hectic Saturday and Sunday. Okay. I play hard, so quite often I'm literally exhausted when I show up at work to start the week. But by mid-Tuesday, I'm ready to crank it up. Really, Tuesday afternoons are my most productive hours. And I'll be honest here, um, Thursday afternoon until about Friday at 5, I'm basically worthless as I'm getting mentally prepared for the weekend. That's so hot. You know, I have found my most productive workday is Thursday. Uh, I just thought I'd throw that out. So, caller, you either have a, a crappy job that no one else wants or your boss just leaves you alone. Uh, you must have connections with management or something, if that's the case. Uh, so, uh, you're just a lucky guy, obviously. Well, hey, caller, can we ask what you do? I know you can't tell us your employer's name, as that could put you in jeopardy, but are you... <laughs> lady, 
lady, nobody at my office would ever listen to this show. Oh. I'm not worried about that. Okay. I'm a telemarketer, and we handle some of the hottest products in the market today. It's a rewarding job putting people in touch with cool stuff that they really need. No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Yeah, I really, really don't like telemarketers. They call my parents' landline at their house all the time. Now my mom carries around a whistle and blows it hard into the phone when they call at dinner time. I think it's made my dad go deaf. You know, Chance, telemarketers have to make a living too. Both of you really should be more understanding. I'm sure our caller here feels bad that he has to interrupt family dinners with cold calls, but that's his job. What you just said is one of the most insanely Uh idiotic things I have ever heard. I I don't like to think that I'm interrupting dinner. I I prefer to say that I'm providing a ray of light and engaging in a heartfelt conversations with, with many lonely people. A lot of those on my call list thank me profusely when I'm done with my product presentations. Uh, caller, thanks for checking in with us. I mean, you can you can call again sometime. Is you're really not that boring. Well, what do you guys think? If he calls again, I'll walk off this show. I'll be very loudly quitting my job. That's how much I don't like telemarketers. Okay, whatever your name is, you don't seem to like someone. You don't seem like someone who I would enjoy spending time with either. Well, just don't ever call my parents' house, okay? Don't even think about calling Dorothy's house once I move in. No problem, dude. Hey, I'm hanging up now, as your vibe is very toxic. Later. Uh, Chance, the, the guy did have a point. You were a little harsh on him. Sure. I mean, he... Yeah, you what, know. what Spud is saying, Chance, is we have a certain code of behavior on the Spud Goodman Show, and you have violated it. We try to treat others as we wish them to treat us. I'm going to have to go ahead and sort of disagree with you there. Um, we don't have a code of behavior. Come on. But, you know, when you get a decent caller, it's best to not totally insult them. It's hard to get someone who is semi-interesting to call into a radio show and and doesn't just drone on and on. You know, maybe this, this dude will call in again. I hope so. Spud, that caller was a dick. I hope he calls my parents' house and my mom blows out his eardrum with her whistle. They are not our friend. Well, Chance, it is wrong to wish ill will on the caller. Oh, babe, no worries. When you move into my place, I'm on that do not call list. I hardly ever get telemarketers calling my landline phone. So are my parents, but those guys are relentless. We've changed the number a bunch of times, and they just keep finding us. We're coming for you, globalist! You know, you millennials are a little soft, man. I mean, that quiet quitting is fine with me, but you guys just seem way too sensitive. I don't take advice from has-been baby boomers, Spud. Aunt Dorothy, are you going to allow him to talk to me like that? Aren't you a baby boomer, too? Well, technically, I guess I fall I in that group. I think you might be on the one end. Uh, well, back. I don't know. maybe, but I really never much liked my peers. They're way too judgmental. You think we're bad for America? You think yeah. I'm bad for America? Dorothy, you're way cooler than any baby boomer I know. Thank you very much, honey. <sighs> okay. I'm going to puke here, so I need to sign off. I am Spud Goodman. Be all that you can be, and I mean that. God bless and ciao. Bye-bye. Oh, 
Can, can I jump in here before we sign off, Spud? As I have something I'd like to add. I I really no, want... No, no. May, maybe next time, all right? Later, everybody. Really? Okay. Okay, fine. The Spud Goodman Show is written and directed by Spud Goodman, executive producer Lori Madsen, produced by David Brenneman of Rosedale Audio Productions, engineered by Trevor Jastad, and recorded at the facilities of NWCZ Radio, associate producer TJ Pites, video director Jason W. Young of Random Whispers Studios, production assistants Brian Martin and Chance Morrison, original music by Mike Spots and Tom Harmon, on-air talent Rob McGee, David Deere, Pam McGee, and Tom Nolan. Copyright 2022 Spud Goodman Productions, David Brenneman speaking.